0: Hi and welcome to the Journalism Salute. I'm Mark Simon. In each episode, we'll talk to or about an interesting person or organization related to journalism. The intent is to show that journalists are not the enemy of the people. Thank you for listening. On today's show, we're joined by Cam Burns. Cam is an engagement editor at Politico working on social media strategy after a couple of years in a similar position for WIRED. Cam is transgender. He is a founding member of the Transgender Journalists Association. He does freelance writing. In the last couple of years, he's done pieces on the transgender travel experience that were published in Allure and National Geographic. Hi, Cam. Hello. Jim went to a school that I'm a fan of, Emerson College. Can you tell us the story of your journalism path that led you to your current job and include something on Emerson College?
1: <laughs> yeah, so I actually started at Emerson as a film student and realized very quickly that was not what I wanted to do. So I switched to journalism after one semester and I was on the student newspaper for the remaining three and a half years that I was at Emerson. I started as a news reporter, moved to news editor, was briefly opinion editor. And through the school paper, I was able to get like a essentially news assistant job at the Boston Globe working Saturday nights from 5 p.m. to 1 a.m., very glamorous. And then I had a few internships, summer internships throughout my time in college, just kind of trying to get a sense of what I wanted to do. So I did some local news, some national news, some print, some web, some radio, and I, because I was an intern and like social was still kind of a newish job, it ended up being a big part of what I was doing at a lot of those, and I really fell in love with it. And so by the time I graduated, I knew that was kind of what I wanted to focus on and that's what jobs I was applying for. And that's how I ended up at Wired um, doing social strategy for them and social posting. And from there, when it was time for me to move on, I ended up at Politico. Doing similar stuff, but kind of obviously more focused on politics and more of a strategic role, whereas my job at Wired was more producing.
0: Um, why Politico? Good
1: question. So I did the Politico Journalism Institute when I was in college, which is like a 10 day program on kind of like political journalism. You're assigned a mentor, you write one story in like the topic that they cover, and I learned so much from that. And I think that like political journalism is super important right now. And so that was what drew me to Politico.
0: You mentioned that you love social media. What, what do you love about that kind of that kind of role? I
1: love that it's constantly changing. So it's, it's very quick paced, but there's like new platforms all the time. Like when I started my job at Wired, there were no newsrooms on TikTok. TikTok was like not a brand new thing. It was very much seen as a brand new thing at that point. Now it's like everyone is on it. And so, and like when I was in college, like newsrooms were on Snapchat doing like Snapchat stories. And so it's just like, so interesting to me how quickly it moves and there's so much opportunity for experimentation. And also like, it's such a direct way to reach your audience and reach new audiences.
0: So can you take us through a day in the life of your job within the last week? Just give, give a sense of the kinds of things that you do. Sure. So
1: I am... "Quote unquote" on social for half the day most days of the week so I sign on at 8 a.m take a look at any stories that published overnight to see if like I missed anything important we have producers who manage our accounts in those hours from like midnight on to the morning which is great but I think it deserves extra attention I take a look at our budget I join our budget meeting every morning at 9 a.m to like hear about what editors are thinking about and what the top stories for the day are so I know what to focus on. My team meets once a week to kind of check in on what everyone's working on and so for that first half of the day I'm kind of just setting everything up for the day and making sure that other members of my team know like if anything relevant to them is happening with the projects that they're working on and then in the afternoons I get to work more on like individualized projects or more specialized stuff so we had A big package dropped this week our election forecast which is predictions for all of the elections in every state for the 2022 election and midterms and primaries and so I was involved with the strategy for that and like helped coordinate we had a Twitter space our Instagram editor did like a whole Instagram thing so I was like looking at scripts for that and so it really was like a little bit of everything but I have that nice like split up day so that I can be really on top of what stories are coming in for the first half of the day, and then have a lot of room to explore the other half of the
0: day. One of the things that I remember from when I did something similar in ESPN was that I always felt like I was having a hard time measuring success. Was it retweets? Mm -hmm. Was it uh, clicks? Was it likes? Was it, what was it? And I'm curious, how do you measure success in your job?
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. I think it's multifaceted. So we do like monthly analytics reports to see like how our retweet click like numbers compare month over month. And click throughs is obviously a big one. Like we wanna make sure that our content, our social content is translating to people actually going to our website and consuming our stories. But I'm really like lucky to work on a team that also really measures quantitative data, not just qualitative. So we're looking at the comments and seeing who's saying like, I come to this Twitter space every month and I learn a lot, or this was a really helpful explainer of a complex situation. Stuff like that we view as like just as important because anyone can like a tweet, but like if we're getting people coming back and learning something new from us, that like is super valuable and that I would consider a success.
0: One of the things that I also remember is that the fun part of the job for me was the challenge uh, with which you try to convey a considerable amount of information, in a Mm -hmm. small amount of space and I'm curious what your experience has been in that
1: yeah that is always the challenge and that's like been honestly kind of fun for me because there's a lot of really complex political stuff happening all the time but especially lately that I don't fully understand and so when I'm writing scripts like we do a fair amount of explainers on Instagram that are Q&A style and the questions I'm writing and finding the answers to are questions that I personally have and so I think I, I agree that that's part of the fun, like part of the fun of it is being like, what would I as a consumer want to know and figuring that out and disseminating that to other people is like,
0: super rewarding. Yep, it's certainly a journalistic aspect of the job that I think, admittedly, people that, that don't necessarily use uh, those social media that they might not necessarily be aware of. Yes. One more on this. What's the hardest part? Of-
1: That's a good question. I mean, honestly, like lately, especially a hard part of the job is like when you're on social, you're scrolling through Twitter a lot and that can be very draining, especially with when the news cycle is not good and not fun. And then of course there's always the comments because we (laughs) want to look at the comments for those like positive comments or even like constructive feedback that's helpful to help us improve our content. But a lot of it is trolls and a lot of it is like really just divisible stuff. And that that can be a drain
0: as well, especially in the field like sports and politics, I think, especially uh, yeah. with regards to to trolls, uh, certainly. All right. I want to segue uh, to the other things that we we're going to talk about. You're a writer in the traditional sense, too, not just uh, social media. And I want to get into that a little bit. You wrote a piece for National Geographic, Visibility uh, Mixes with Vulnerability for Some Transgender Travelers, and another for Allure along the same lines, The Unique Anxiety of Traveling While Transgender. You approached the latter from a personal perspective. Can you explain what you were trying to do with those pieces and what the experience of writing them was like?
1: Yeah, so the Allure piece I wrote before the National Geographic one and That was pretty much a direct response to ProPublica had an investigation that published, I think, a month or so before this piece that I wrote about how the TSA had been very explicitly harmful to trans people, and so this was like I wanted to have a personal voice to it because of the fact that it was an allure piece, but I really wanted to offer tangible tips because that's not like what ProPublica does. They were exposing this really harmful thing that was happening and. This piece was supposed to kind of offer some solutions, even if there weren't that many tangible ones. And because I published that piece, there's not a ton of articles out there about traveling while transgender. And so National Geographic was like looking for someone to write a piece for them for Pride Month. And I guess when they Googled trans travel, my lore piece came up. And so they reached out to me. And that piece was just something I'd been wanting to write a story about people who transitioned during the pandemic because it was like such a different experience from mine where they kind of a lot of them got to skip the like awkward early transition stage and like re-enter society when the pandemic was over at the time we thought it was and like what that experience was like and so we ended up just kind of pegging that to traveling and being like okay how does this new travel experience compare to what it was like before and like are you worried? Are you excited? What are you feeling? And so that was like really fun to write because it was like really great to talk to newly out trans people about their experiences with that.
0: What was the response? To-
1: so it was mostly positive. I think I've done like a pretty good job of curating my social presence so that like the people I want to find my stuff will find my stuff and the people I don't generally leave me alone. And also they're both publications that I think have audiences that would be open to yep. learning about trans people. And so, yeah, like for the most part, it was really positive. And I think the Allure piece especially like opened up a lot of doors because that was one of the first pieces I'd written for like a magazine of that like level of recognition. And also like, again, it is one of the first things that comes up still when you search transgender travel. So yeah, it was a really great experience for both of them. And at least what I saw was a largely positive response.
0: It was solutions journalism on your end, educational journalism, certainly for someone like uh, myself. They Mm -hmm. certainly got a lot out of that. With that, I want to talk about the Transgender Journalists Association, of which you're a founding member. And just to quote something, a 2020 Gallup poll found that 5.6%, 6% 6 of Americans identify as LGBTQ, up from about 4.5% in 2017. While less than 1% of Americans identify as transgender, that number is 1.2% among millennials, Mm -hmm. 1.8% among Gen Z. Can you explain the origin story of the association?
1: Yeah. So it started out as a really informal Slack channel. A friend of mine and a fellow co-founder of the organization, Oliver Ash Klein, had put out like a tweet, like, is there a shared space for trans journalists to kind of just like talk about our experiences and what it's like and there wasn't and so they created this slack group and as we were all in there we were talking about like what newsrooms were doing that we thought could be better and like what we wish was in place to support trans journalists like ourselves and so we started making steps to make that happen we started the style guide and then from there we were like okay how do we make this a formal organization so that we can publicize it and make sure that like we're not missing anyone and there's not any trans journalist who feels like isolated and isn't aware of this.
0: The mission statement is that the Trans Journalists Association exists to support trans journalists in their workplaces and careers through community support, providing guidance to newsrooms for more accurate sensitive coverage of trans communities and providing tools to help employers make their workplaces more supportive for trans employees. I want to walk through a couple of those. What mm-hmm. does the group do with regards to community support?
1: So at this point, like the biggest thing is the Slack group. There's about 500-ish of us, which was way more than we ever expected to apply and has been great. Just like we have a lot of mentoring happening. We have just a lot of people sharing their experiences. And one thing that's been super helpful is like if someone is asked to be interviewed for a story or... Is like applying to a job somewhere they can say like, hey, has anyone worked here? Was your experience good or bad? Or is there anything I should be aware of if I'm applying to work here like as a trans person? And so just having that space, I think, has been like super helpful for a lot of people. And that's been like the biggest thing so far. We're trying to like expand to having in-person events, stuff like that. But for now, it's mostly an online community.
0: You mentioned 500 people was more than you expected. How
1: many were you? So when we launched, there was about 50 of us and we were expecting maybe 50 more applications. And within the first couple of weeks, we had like 200. And then that's continued to grow over the past couple of years.
0: That's great. Yeah. So providing guidance to newsrooms for accurate and sensitive coverage. On the last episode of this podcast, we talked a lot about that subject as it related to people with disabilities. We've talked about it as it relates to a number of different groups what are the most common questions that you get asked with regards to accurate and sensitive coverage?
1: Yeah. So one that comes up a lot is people who use multiple sets of pronouns, which is not something that's currently in the Mm -hmm. style guide and is something we're working on for an update of the style guide. But people are like, not always sure what to do with that. And the other one is like, people have a lot of questions about dead names and like, When is it okay to use someone's dead name in a story? And our answer is almost never. There's very rarely a reason to. And also retroactive uh, corrections because you could interview a source who in 2010 was not trans and now is, and do you go back and change their name or does that draw more attention to it? And those are like super case by case. So that's also not explicitly in the style guide because it's so specific to the situation usually.
0: So when coverage of transgender communities and issues is done right, what does that coverage look like?
1: Yeah, so I think a big thing is just like not making a big deal out of it. Like if you are halting every article to say like, this is what non-binary means and like this person uses they, them pronouns, like it's drawing attention to it, especially in a story when it's not about the person's gender at all. So stories that skip over that and assume that their readers know what non-binary people are at this point is refreshing and stories that are about trans people having trans sources is huge. So, if we're talking about healthcare, if we're talking about sports, it's really great to see when stories have mostly or only trans people speaking to that. Another thing that looks really great, in my opinion, is stories that aren't about gender that include trans people. So, like if we're talking about like education or any number of things and you have a source that uses they them pronouns or a source that is trans and the story is not about their gender that's also great just to like help normalize trans people being part of everyday life
0: what's what does it look like when it's not done well
1: yeah so I think part of it is like I said earlier like the making a big deal out of it I think like someone had like a really good tweet about this the other day though so I'm not going to try to use their exact words but essentially it's like The more you act like it's a big deal, the harder it is to treat non-binary people like they are equals because it's seen as an anomaly every time. I think it's also condescending to the readers because they can Google that if they don't know what it is. And assuming that no one knows what non-binary people are in 2022 is just kind of telling about what the newsroom thinks about trans people. Other thing like deadnaming or misgendering sources is like, egregious and like should not happen Mm -hmm. really ever and then the opposite of what I said earlier like if you are writing a story about trans healthcare or laws that are targeting trans people and you don't have a single trans source that is not good even if you have like a source from an LGBT organization they can't speak to being trans if they're not trans and that we still see a lot
0: And that's amazing, because that kind of goes without saying, right? Right, you would think. (laughs) Yeah. What's something that doesn't currently exist now that the group would like to do or accomplish?
1: Yeah, so we definitely wanted to get to a point where we can have either a virtual or in-person conference like a lot of the other affinity organizations have. Most of our members have not met each other in person. That would be really great, because we, some of the organizers of TJA, attend conferences and give kind of like a reporting on trans people, gendered language 101. But having a conference of our own would give us the opportunity to go a lot deeper than that and talk about really more specific things. Other thing I would like to set up is like a more formal mentorship program. We have a lot of informal mentoring happening right now, but we don't have like a formal situation for that. And that I think would be super valuable for our members. Those I think are two of the big ones. We're also trying to set up a sort of database of our members because people come to us all the time like we want a reporter on this topic or we're looking for an editor or a consultant and we don't have like something for that all in one place we have a list but we are trying to set up a situation where people can put themselves on a list for those editors who are looking for those things
0: a directory of experts basically
1: right yeah
0: so i've asked this of each of the affinity groups that i've spoken to what can a person who's listening to this podcast at home who's not really in a position of power or anything over anything more than their own Twitter feed, what can they do to support the cause?
1: Yeah, so if they are a journalist, then just like encouraging their newsrooms to use inclusive language and cover these things well and hire trans journalists if they have the opportunity to, or bring on a trans freelancer if it's a sensitive story. If they're not a journalist, we always like retweets donations are also great. Uh, Even like a few dollars is always helpful. I think those are just like little things, but they add up really quickly because people like are finding out about us every day. We're still pretty new and we're pretty grassroots. And so awareness is huge, even if it's just like a small Twitter following.
0: What's been the best thing about this group? I think it's just been
1: really wonderful finding out how many of us there were because before I joined this organization, I could count on one hand the trans journalists I knew besides myself. And knowing that there are so many of us and we have such diverse skill sets is like so heartwarming. And it's also just great to be able to talk to people who understand this industry and understand the trans experience and like being able to have those conversations without having to explain a lot of things. Like I can talk to my trans friends about transphobia, but they don't necessarily understand the journalism industry. And I can talk to my journalism friends about trouble in the industry, but they don't necessarily understand that aspect. And so really just like having that community has been huge.
0: Is there another article besides the ones that you've written that you would recommend that someone read to get a better um, sense of things like, you you in, in your case, you focused on travel, but there are certainly other life experience type things that I think would be educational to a lot of people. Are there any other articles that you might recommend?
1: Yeah, there's a few. I forget what the actual title is, but there's an episode of uh, Life Kit through NPR about Mm -hmm. like how to make your workplace more equitable for trans people, that's a great one. And then I think everything that the 19th right now is doing is just wonderful. They're doing a lot of coverage of these laws in like really in-depth ways and really centering the families that are being impacted in like Texas and Florida and other states that are having these legislation come up. And so I think if you want like tangible solutions, journalism, Life Kit has some great stuff. And if you're wanting to just kind of understand what this period of time feels like for trans people moving through the world, the 19th has some really great stuff.
0: Are there, is there a large membership in the states that have essentially passed some of the more significant legislation is there a large membership for your group
1: not a huge membership a yeah. lot of us are in like New York DC LA but there definitely are members who are living in the south and living in states where this is happening and it has been really challenging
0: yep yeah what goals do you have in your journalism career that's a good question I think
1: I do I would at one point want to make TJ a bigger part of my long-term career so been doing a lot of unpaid work for them because we don't have a ton of money right now. And so it would be great to be able to like make that more of a, at least part-time gig. And then outside of that, I love working in audience, but I'm always looking to do more writing. And it would also be great to kind of take on more of a strategic role and less of the day-to-day. So those are like short-ish term goals and still figuring out what I wanna do long-term.
0: Is there a journalist? Uh, so we, we move to the final question here. The podcast is called The Journalism Salute. We salute yes. you for your good work. Is there a journalist or journalism organization that you're not affiliated with that you would like to salute for their good work in this area?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I'm going to say the 19th again. I think <laughs> the fact that they have two trans journalists on staff reporting on this all the time is just amazing. And the fact that they are really centering the people who are impacted and not just reporting on the, the politicians who are creating these legislation is like not something I'm seeing anywhere else.
0: Kim Burns, uh, thank you for taking the time to join us. Best of luck uh, with the group and in your career. Thank you. Yeah, thank you for having me. It was great. The Trans Journalists Association exists to support trans journalists in their workplaces and careers through community support, providing guidance to newsrooms for more accurate, sensitive coverage of trans communities and providing tools to help employers make their workplaces more supportive for trans employees. To learn more about them, visit their website, transjournalists.org. Join hosts Will Hitchcock and Sivavad Jonathan on Democracy in Danger, a show that puts the illiberal turn of the nation in context. Each week, Will and Siva, both University of Virginia professors, are joined by leading thinkers to discuss serious threats to government by the people, from the dark web and media disinformation to climate change, economic inequality, and violent extremism. Help them save democracy and make it work better. New episodes post on Wednesdays, wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening to the Journalism Salute. Please let us know what you think of the show. You can find us on Twitter at journalism pod and you can email us at journalism salute at gmail.com